Luther chapter 5, verse 2. You can follow along as I read. Uh, God's Word says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's uh, pray this morning, ask God to uh, guide us as we look into his word. Lord, we're so thankful to um, worship you this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, all that you have done for us, for your great love for us. Thank you for the beauty of today, uh, the beauty of uh, the, the fall season and the changing colors that speak to your glorious creation. Lord, we thank you that as a church family, we can pray for one another. And this morning, we pray in a special way for Hardy and Jean Hunt. Lord, they've been on a difficult journey over the last uh, few weeks. Lord, I pray for your healing uh, for, for Jean. I pray for uh, peace and wisdom for Hardy. And uh, Lord, we pray that he would sense the prayer support and the love and the kindness of his church family at this uh, very difficult, challenging time in their lives. So may they sense your presence and your peace today. Lord, thank you for each one that is here. Lord, we pray that you would open up our uh, hearts and minds to your word today. And Lord, may we be like Samuel in the Old Testament who said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So open up our hearts to your truth today. We will thank you in Jesus' name. All right, we've been looking at uh, the study of the life of David, and we're going to jump into that uh, part 13. So we're in the home stretch, probably have maybe three or four more messages on the life of David. And so let me just give you a little review on David's life. Uh, so remember that David was the youngest in a large family of boys. And after King Saul was rejected by God as the king, God told Samuel to go to Jesse's hometown of Bethlehem, and the next king of Israel was there. And you remember that story that all of Jesse's sons paraded before Samuel, and God said to Samuel, not one of them is the next king of Israel. And so Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more boys? And Jesse says, one more, the youngest, he's out watching the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him here. And uh, David comes before uh, Samuel, and God says to Samuel, he's the one. And he's privately anointed to be the next king of Israel. He's only about 16 or 17 years old. It wasn't until he was 30 that he actually became the king. There was a 13-year gap between his private anointing and when he was 30, he was anointed as king over Judah, just one tribe of Israel. In between, those were very difficult years. He spent 10 years as a fugitive. He was on the run from King Saul, and King Saul, in his jealous rage, trying to kill David. And so finally, at the age of 30, he's anointed as king of Judah. Seven years later, though, he is anointed as king over all of Israel. And so now David is king over all of Israel, and we come to um, the, the point in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 8, and 9 where there's a peace in Israel where David is consolidating things and now Jerusalem is the capital and he brings the Ark of the Covenant and it's established in Jerusalem. 
And uh, it's a time of great peace and prosperity for the nation. But as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we want to uh, discover that David starts 2 Samuel chapter 9. He asks a question, and I'm going to read it for you. Verse 1, David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show, here's our key word, kindness for Jonathan's sake? Are there any relatives left over from the previous administration, the previous king Saul, and specifically Jonathan's family, that I can show, my translation says kindness to, most I checked three or four others, they all translate this word kindness, or um, hesed, in this particular passage, as kindness. Our scripture reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 very simple instructions. Be kind one to another. Have you noticed that that's a character trait that's missing in our culture today? As our culture just becomes more and more coarse and more and more divided and you go onto social media and and there's a vitriol from different sources and you can hide behind a screen and there's no kindness. And God calls us to be now, what's interesting is that this word um, kindness, or hesed, as the Hebrew word is, is a fascinating word in, in Scripture. And I put, I think in your bulletin, a, a handout uh, that says, what is the meaning of the Hebrew word hesed that we're looking at here? David wants to show kindness to Saul's lineage, to Jonathan's family. So let me just read part of this. It's, you can read this. Um, the entire sheet later, Uh, many biblical words such as mercy, compassion, love, grace, and faithfulness relate to the Hebrew word hesed. But none of these completely summarize the concept. So it's it's a Hebrew word where we can't just use one English word to get the full meaning of it. That's why it's translated in many, with many different words in, in scripture. Hesed is not merely an emotion or feeling, but involves action on behalf of someone who is in need. Hesed describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior toward another person. Hesed is found 250 times in the Old Testament and expresses an essential part of God's character. So hesed here is translated kindness. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. It means faithfulness, mercy, grace, and love. And David's asking a question. Is there anybody in Saul's family? Is there anybody in his lineage that I can show hesed to? Mercy, love, faithfulness. Now the context of David's question as he's uh, the king of Israel, is that he's remembering back to some promises that he made. He made a promise to his BFF, that was Jonathan, his best friend forever. He made a promise to Jonathan that he was going to care for everybody in his family regardless of what happened. He also made that same promise to King Saul, who happened to be his father-in-law, and so let's just look at the context here. One, the, the promise that David made to Jonathan, it's found in 
1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 through 17. And here's a conversation between Jonathan and David. Here's David talking to John, or Jonathan talking to David. But show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness. Hesed, as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemy to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. So years earlier, David had made a promise to to Jonathan, I'm going to take care of your family. And now David is king, and he's reflecting back on that promise, and he made that same promise to Saul as well. And so he's asking um, this uh, question out of uh, fulfilling a a commitment that he made to, to Jonathan and to Saul. Well... Let's look at the characters in this story because just going to look at their names and this will familiarize yourself with who the players are in the story here. Obviously, King David is the, the key central uh, uh, person here in this story, the, the king of Israel. Uh, but then we're going to learn of a name, uh, Ziba. Ziba was a servant in Saul's household. He's key in this story. And then we're going to learn about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Who was Mephibosheth? Well, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And we have a little insight into the background of Mephibosheth. And let's just look at it in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, Mephibosheth's background. Um, We read, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. So Mephibosheth was, uh, was crippled. He was lame in both feet. He was about five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What news was that? That his grandfather and his father were killed in battle. His two uncles were as well. And so in in the context of all that, it says his nurse picked him up and fled. But she hurried as she hurried to leave, she fell and he and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So we have this little parentheses about the background of this son of Jonathan who at the age of five his nurse picks him up they were fleeing because what was the custom in in those days was when a new king came on the scene they wiped out all the relatives of the old king they didn't want any rivals to the throne and in their her hurry to carry Mephibosheth out of the house um, he falls and Mephibosheth is, is lame he's crippled And so it's Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son. Then there's a fellow by the name of Makur. We meet him in um, verse 3. Makur. Actually, he's in verse 4. Mephibosheth is in the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So where is is Mephibosheth right now? The Bible says he's with Makur. And he's in a place called Lodabar. Now that means nothing to us, but one of the commentaries, uh, Charles Swindoll commentary, 
on the life of David. Here's what he writes. Lo in Hebrew means no. And debar is from the root word meaning pasture or pasture land. So this descendant of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, is in a place of utter desolation. He lives out in some obscure barren field in Palestine. Since the custom was to kill anyone from a previous dynasty, such individuals were either exterminated or they hid the rest of their lives. And that's what Mephibosheth had done. He had hidden himself away, and the only one who knew his whereabouts was an old servant of Saul named Ziba. So Mephibosheth is in this remote part of Israel, Palestine, in the house of Makur, and he's basically in hiding because he doesn't want David to find out where he is because he thinks, what's David going to do to him? David's, he thinks David's going to kill him. There's one more person in this story, just looking at the, the characters here, and it's found in verse 12, and it just says that Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. Micah. And so there's King David, Ziba, Mephibosheth, Makur, and Micah. Those are the characters. Now, let's get back to our story and our outline, uh, the context, the characters. Now we see David's concern. We've already read the question, but let's read it again. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show Hesed, kindness for Jonathan's sake. David is showing concern by asking questions. Actually, he asks four questions in the next few verses here. Um, He goes on to ask another question in verse 2, another question in verse 3, another question in verse 4. Let me suggest to you that one of the ways that we can show Kindness and concern to other people is simply to ask them questions. Very simple, basic questions. How are you today? How, how, how are things going for you? And just to, just to ask questions communicates, I'm concerned about you and your life. And that's where David starts. He asks questions. Some people that are more on the reserve, shy side sometimes say, well, I don't want to talk to new people or meet new people. I don't know what to say. And I simply say, just start asking them questions. Like, uh, how about like, well, what is your name? <laughs> and uh, where do you live? And tell me about your family. And, and so David's showing concern by asking questions. Verse 2 says, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. David wants to know, Where where is this young man? Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel in Lodabar. And so David's expressing concern. He wants to fulfill that that promise that he made uh, to Jonathan and to Saul. He wants to fulfill his oath. Well, in the rest of the chapter, um, we see the compassion and the kindness of David. This is a remarkable story. And uh, so let's just journey down through um, the rest of the, the chapter here and see what David does. 
So King David had him, Mephibosheth, brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, at your service, he replied. Now think with me, what is going through the mind of Mephibosheth when he gets a call that the king wants to see him, and he, he's brought from this remote place to the king's palace, and uh, you know what Mephibosheth is thinking? This is it. You know, he's finally caught up with me, he's finally found me, and he's going to have me killed. And so David responds immediately, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness, chesed, for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth is, is, is stunned. Mephibosheth is realizing that this is, for him, this, he's hit the lottery. He's, David's going to tell him, you are set for life, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth bows down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth doesn't have a very good self-image, self-esteem. He refers to himself as a dead dog. Dogs were on the bottom of the scale in that culture in that day. A couple weeks ago, our oldest grandson was asking me the question, what is self-esteem? <laughs> what does that mean, self-esteem? And here Mephibosheth has a, a low self-esteem, very common with people that have disabilities. Let me encourage you that Sometimes when when someone has a disability, whether they're in a wheelchair or some other disability, again, our first tendency is to shy away from them. And let me encourage you not to do that. That they they need um, love and encouragement. They need people to speak to them. Uh, They need people to look in their eye and affirm them as a a person made in God's image. And so here's here's Mephibosheth, and, and he's overwhelmed with David's kindness to him. Verse 9, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. He's going to have some land. He's going to have some property. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. David commissions 35 people. Go farm the land, and I want you to provide for Mephibosheth. He's always going to eat at the king's table. I wonder what it would have been like to eat at the king's table. I, I gave that a little, little thought this week, I, um, I thought about, like, well, I wonder how, uh, how the meals are at the White House. Imagine those are pretty decent meals, I would, I would imagine. 
Um, I did just a little research. Uh, the executive chef, there's an executive chef in the White House, and he manages the three White House kitchens, or three kitchens. He supervises a full-time staff of five and a part-time staff of 20 to 25 assistant chefs and kitchen helpers. The executive chef is responsible for planning and preparing all menus and meals for the first family. So I would imagine that the Bidens are eating pretty good. I imagine the food in the White House is is decent because there's five full-time chefs and 20 to 25 part-time helpers if they need it. I've never been to the White House for a meal, and you probably haven't either, but as I was just trying to think through about, like, maybe it was because I was hungry, like, what would those meals be like? David's, you know, a king feeding the Mephibosheth all the time. So I thought about, and maybe some of you have been there, I thought about the meals at the Grand Hotel. Anybody ever eaten at the Grand Hotel? There's a few of you. Di and I have had the privilege of, uh, I think, two or three times staying at the Grand Hotel, and uh, usually it was because somebody else paid for us. <laughs> Actually, all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've ever been there, and, and I would encourage you, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime trip, although it's been three times for us. It's remarkable. Now, I've heard the prices have gone up since there's a new owner but, um, you know, the evening meals, if you haven't been there, uh, the evening meals are, you, you have to dress up for your evening meal. So guys got to wear a sport coat and a tie, and uh, women have to wear some sort of formal wear. You sit down in your dining room. Most of the staff is from Jamaica, and they come over, and they, you know, you're looking over the menu, and it's a five-course meal, and you make all those decisions, and, and it takes about an hour and a half to two hours, but, oh... The food is remarkable. That's what Mephibosheth is enjoying. <laughs> he went from he went from in hiding, uh, in isolation, because he thought he had uh, a bullseye on his back, and now he's going to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. And so, verse eleven. Then Ziba said to the king, "Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do." So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were were servants of Mephibosheth. 35 people waiting on him. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet. What a remarkable story. Because in the Bible days, most people that were disabled or lame were uh, sitting out on the street corner begging for food or begging for money. And now here's Mephibosheth, who's been found, and out of the kindness, the compassion, the hesed of David, now he is eating for the rest of his life at the king's table, all because of David's heart. Well, that's an amazing example of kindness, mercy, and compassion. And just in our last 10 minutes or so this morning, I want to share um, what are some life lessons that we can learn from this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And uh, 
we've come up with three of them. So let's uh, let's look at uh, the first life lesson. Uh, here's life lesson number one. Over the course of time, we need to be reminded of the vows, promises, and commitments that we have made. So over over the course of time, we need reminders of the vows, the promises, and commitments we've made. Uh, this is what started this whole process. David is is sitting in the palace, and he's thinking back, and he's like, you know that promise I made to Jonathan? I... I need to find out whether I can fulfill that, whether there's any relatives alive. He was reflecting back on a promise he made years ago. And the more distance between the uh, time, between the commitment that we make, and as time goes by, sometimes we either forget the promise that we made or we just lose, uh, lose passion to fulfill that promise. David's concerned about an oath and a promise and a vow that he made years ago. And we need to be reminded of promises. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, It's better not to make a promise or a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And Jesus says, Let your yes be yes, your no be no. You don't need to take oaths. And this became a... And for the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had all sorts of games that they were playing with... Uh, uh, speaking truth, and uh, Jesus says, nope, let your yes be yes, your no be no. So if you're married this morning, uh, just reflect back, uh, you made a promise, you made a commitment, and as uh, you stood before some people, and you stood before God, um, most people made vows, commitments. Um, Diane and I made those commitments to each other in uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, 45 years ago, in front of about 300 people. And we stood there, and we made vows. In fact, dear, I thought we'd have a vow renewal this morning. You want to come up and renew our vows? No, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. But the vow goes something like this. I, Ron, take you, Diane, to be my wife. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. Until death do us. Those are serious vows and serious commitments that we need to be reminded of. If you're part of a church family and you've joined a, a church, not, not something that's very popular to do today, um, but uh, let me remind you that you made a, a, a commitment, a vow, when you, at least when you joined Community Bible Church. I got out our church covenant, and I'm just going to read part of it. We do solemnly covenant with each other and pledge that we will walk together in brotherly love. We will exercise caring and loving watchfulness for one another. We will regularly support the work of the church throughout the world by systematic contributions of money and consecrated service. I'm making a vow that I'm going to invest my time, talent, and treasure in the house of God and in a local assembly of people. That's a, that's a, a commitment. And as time goes by, we kind of uh, forget that, that commitment that we made. 
We made promises to our families, our children, our grandchildren, our friends. And we need to be reminded that we need to be people of integrity and people of our word and fulfill those promises that we made. Well, life lesson number two is this. That David's kindness and compassion to Mephibosheth is a picture of God's kindness and compassion to us. So what David's really doing is living out what this character trait in, in uh, God means. Loving kindness. And that's what God has done for us. In fact, in the, the last paragraph of our handout about um, hesed and what hesed means, um, the author concludes with these words. He says, God's act of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus is rooted in hesed. Hesed describes the disposition of God's heart, not only toward his people, but to all humanity. The love of God extends far beyond our duty or expectation. His forgiveness of sin fulfills a need that is basic to all other needs in the relationship between human beings and God. The restoration and continuation of fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. God's hesed manifested in forgiveness makes a relationship with Him possible. That forgiveness comes to us freely as a gift from God based on the sacrificial act of Christ. So who is God? God the Father is a God who's characterized by hesed, love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, compassion. Psalm 117, two verses. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Great is his love. That's the word, hesed. Great is his mercy, his compassion, and his love toward all of us. Uh, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament speaks of God's hesed, God's kindness and compassion in Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Joel writes um, to the, the nation of Israel, Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, hesed, abounding in kindness, love, compassion, slow to anger, and he, as he relents from sending calamity. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament reminds us of God's compassion and hesed. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And so Paul's reminding Titus about God's love and God's compassion, and it is the character trait of who God the Father is. One last life lesson, and then we'll conclude. Here's the third one. God desires us to be a conduit of His love, mercy, and kindness to others. So if you're here this morning and you've experienced the, the hesed, the mercy, the kindness, the grace, the forgiveness of God the Father, 
Praise God for that. But he wants us then to be what? A conduit of that blessing, kindness, compassion, and love to other people. As we read in our scripture reading this morning, be kind and compassionate to other people. Now the scriptures say, be imitators of me, God says. So just as I demonstrate kindness and compassion, you need to demonstrate it as well. Here's how Paul puts it to the church at Colossae. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so, what is God asking of us? God is asking us to be a conduit of His hesed, love, mercy, kindness, and compassion once we've received it to other people. So my question to you this morning would be, who's your Mephibosheth? You have somebody in your life that maybe is a family member or immediate family, extended family, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your workplace, someone that you know. Who is it that we can not just have a feeling of Sympathy is feeling an emotion, but compassion and hesed is doing something. I mean, David could have found out about Mephibosheth and said, well, isn't that, you know, that's too bad that, you know, he's living in this remote place. No, he acted. He said, like, bring him here. Find him. Bring him here. And then he showered him with uh, love and compassion and gifts and food. Who's in your circle of family and friends that you can show love and kindness and compassion and mercy. You might say, well, they don't deserve it. Neither did we. (laughs) None of us deserve what God has given to us. And so, um, what what does that look like? It's just simply um, asking God and and finding a a need and and meeting it. And maybe it's just as simple as, as taking a meal to somebody. Maybe it's giving a young mom who's got young kids who's exhausted and just saying, hey, uh, maybe I'll give you a break and you can go out and enjoy yourself uh, for an evening. Maybe it's an older couple that needs their gutters clean. Maybe it's slipping someone a gift card. Maybe it's in the fast food lane and you say, hey, I'll, I'll pay for the car behind me. I've always been afraid to do that because I'm thinking they're going to order like $80 worth of food, you know. Like, if they order a Coke, I'll pay for it, you know. Um, yeah, just how can we show kindness, compassion, and love? Here's what the book of Proverbs says, and I've discovered this over and over and over again in my life. It says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You know who's going to get the greatest blessing out of you showing kindness, hesed, compassion to somebody? That's what you are. You know who got the greatest blessing out of bringing Mephibosheth from the remote part of Palestine and bringing him to the king's table? And I can imagine every day David sitting there and looking at Mephibosheth and maybe, maybe his son as well and just like, you know, what a joy that is to kind of rescue a life and to show what God has done to me 
to be a conduit of love and blessing to others. This morning we're going to close with a a song, and um, most of you probably are not familiar with this group. It's entitled Sidewalk Prophets, and it's a great song. And the name of the song is Come to the Table. And I just want you to listen to these words because they speak about God's chesed, His kindness and compassion to all of us who have um, accepted the invitation of God and, and the scriptures that is found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, where the prophet Isaiah writes, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, not going to cost you anything. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Listen to the words, um, come to the table and it's God's um, mercy and hesed to us. It's about four minutes long and then we'll start on the outside the outside looking in this is where grace begins we were hungry we were thirsty with nothing left to give oh the shape that we were in and just when all hope seemed lost Love opened the door for us He said, come to the table Come join the sinners who have been redeemed Take your place beside the Savior Sit down and be set free Come to the table And these thieves, there's no one unwelcome here. And that sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near. So come to the table, come join the sinner. All who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all. 
the first All the papas and the princess All who fail then forgive All who dream and all who suffer All who loved and lost another All the chained and all the free All who follow thankful for your invitation to come to the table, Uh, the message of the gospel for whosoever will may come. And thank you for that open invitation that when we recognize our sin, when we recognize our need, that we come to your table and we can be set free and we can be redeemed because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And Lord, we rejoice in your mercy and your grace and lord we look forward to that day when we will literally sit at a table at the marriage supper of the lamb and we will celebrate with all the redeemed what you have done for us and so we thank you for the gospel lord i pray today that we won't just leave here this morning and thinking well that was a nice message Lord, without uh, asking you to show us to whom we can be a conduit of your love and mercy in, um, in our lives, that we can be a, a David to a Mephibosheth. So, uh, Lord, help us not just to be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers. And, Lord, we will thank you, we'll praise you, and give you all uh, the glory. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.